Good day, my friends, and welcome to another moment, a Black History Moment with Bo. And I am here to tell you that today is going to be a great day for you. So take advantage of it and surround yourself with people who make you believe in yourself. My friends, this show is about the truth and nothing else. Because here's a few truths for you. Truth is the greatest weapon you have. Because when everything else fails and the dust clears, the truth will still be standing. And here's another truth for you. Today's show might not be a show you want your child to listen to. You might just want to relay the story. I'll only apologize for how I said it, not for what I said, because I meant that shit. The truth doesn't give a fuck what your opinion is. Because as Malcolm X said, you have to be very careful when introducing the truth to the black man who has never previously heard the truth about himself. The black brother is so brainwashed that he may reject the truth when he first hears it. You have to drop a little bit on him at a time and wait for a while and let that sink in before advancing to the next step. And as hurtful as that is for me to say, my friends, that is also the truth. So now, Let's slip into a little darkness. As a youngster, John Downing Weaver paid little attention to his mother when she told him stories about her and his father's trip to Brownsville, Texas in 1909. And it wasn't until the journalist who was in his 50s got around to asking her about it. After all, it didn't sound like a glamorous trip. Some Negro soldiers shot up the town, she said, and Teddy Roosevelt kicked them out of the army. Now, Weaver figured his father, a stenographer for the House of Representatives, had been chosen to cover a trial for the soldiers and summoned to Brownsville, a town on the Mexican border. Mrs. Weaver said they didn't have a trial. He just kicked them out. And John said, wait a minute. Not even the president can go around kicking people out of the army without a trial. Teddy Roosevelt did, she said, just to prove his mother wrong. Weaver dug into the official records of the case housed at the Charles Young Research Library at UCLA. It turned out his mother was right. On November 6, 1906, Theodore Roosevelt signed Special Order Number 266, and with the stroke of his pen, the president triggered the dishonorable discharge of 167 black soldiers of the 25th Infantry stationed in Brownsville, Texas. Wow. 
Weaver's father was sent down there three years later to report on the proceedings of a court of inquiry composed of five retired generals. Weaver, after meticulously researching the events, concluded that these generals were less interested in righting the wrong than in making the wrong appear right. Weaver, now a reporter for the Los Angeles Times, West Section published his findings in a 1970 book, The Brownsville Raid, the story of America's Black Dreyfus Affair. The research made its way to the desk of Los Angeles Congressman Augustus Freeman Hawkins, who's working in tandem with Weaver, introducing a bill to exonerate the soldiers. On September 28, 1972, the United States Army formally cleared the soldiers of wrongdoing. But that wasn't the full story, my friends. You see, a dishonorable discharge, especially coming from the nation's president, really cuts deep. The 25th, one of America's segregated units, also called Buffalo Soldiers, had fought bravely beside Roosevelt's Rough Riders in Cuba during the 1898 war with Spain. The 25th also served in the Philippines and took part in suppressing a local uprising there. After serving in what were essentially imperialistic wars, the soldiers returned to their bases in the Southwest, where they frequently faced discrimination and violence. You see, in late July 1906, the 1st Battalion of the 25th Infantry was transferred from Nebraska to Brownsville to replace the all-white unit that had been there to provide security for potential incursions by the Mexican forces. And as always, confrontation between white citizens and the soldiers started immediately after they arrived. Local merchants refused to sell the soldiers food or items. One citizen severely beat one of the soldiers after blaming him for allegedly brushing up against a townswoman on the sidewalk. A customs officer accused another of being drunk and pushed him into the river while he was trying to get back across the bridge from a rest day in Mexico. The soldier could not swim and nearly drowned before others reluctantly fished him from the water. And there were other incidents, but anxieties came to a head when the wife of a merchant alleged that one of the black soldiers had tried to attack and rape her. Here we go, my friends, that same old story. How many times have we heard that? And how many times have that white Southern female caused black people to die? And like all the other incidents, there was no evidence to support this accusation. But no matter, it pushed tensions to the point of no return. There was no dispute about what happened in Brownsville around midnight on August the 13th, 1906, and into the morning of August the 14th. 
Gunshots suddenly rang out on the deserted, dusty streets along the dark corridor between Brownsville proper and Fort Brown, where the 25th Infantry resided. Unknown parties discriminately fired at a number of private residences. By most estimates, the shooting lasted about 10 minutes. When it was over, a mounted police officer was maimed and a young saloon barman was dead. From the viewpoint of the town's white citizenry and leaders in media, there was little doubt who had done the shooting. Over the next 12 hours, witnesses came forward to say they had seen soldiers creeping around the dark streets with guns. This was mysterious owing to the fact that soldiers had been required for their own safety to adhere to the strict curfew that evening. Now, this curfew had been implemented because of several racist conflicts that had taken place over the previous three weeks in town. In the early morning of the 14th, the white officer in charge of the 25th inspected all of the battalion's weapons. None appeared to have discharged any bullets. But townspeople and the mayor found a few bullet casings around the town. And once again, this gave the accusers all the evidence they needed to support their theory that some members of the 25th shot innocent citizens and the rest of them entered into a conspiracy of silence. And it was for this conspiracy of silence that Roosevelt dishonorably discharged all 167 men and stripped them of their pensions and their ability to apply for any civil service jobs. Now, as you can imagine, this for most soldiers was financially devastating. It meant a lifetime of menial labor since a dishonorable discharge from the military far outweighed any positive recommendation for a position, especially for African-Americans. The townspeople of Brownsville assumed the soldiers had done the shooting in retaliation for ill treatment, and the War Department took the soldiers' guilt for granted. In 1908, Republican Joseph Foraker of Ohio spurred the U.S. Senate Committee to do its own investigation. He kept the issue alive in a bid to gain the party's nomination, but he also felt Roosevelt had exceeded his authority by dismissing the men without trial. But you know what? In the end, the Senate committee wound up supporting Roosevelt. But there was significant fallout. Because of the unjust treatment of the soldiers, Black people voted against Roosevelt's successor, William Howard Taft, in greater numbers than they had ever voted against any other Republican presidential candidate. After a few years, Weaver notes in his book, the entire affair had been swept under history's rug. Other words, it had been slipped into darkness. Until, that is, until Weaver brought it to the attention of Congressman Hawkins, 
Democratic representing California's 21st district, covering southern Los Angeles County, and BHM brought it back alive today. Now, Augustus Freeman Hawkins spent 27 years in the California Assembly before entering the House of Representatives in 1962. As the first black member of Congress from the Western United States, he focused his career on bringing minority voices into politics. Among many other achievements, he sponsored a section of the landmark Civil Rights Act of 1964 that established the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. And he had been a congressman for only three years when the 1965 Watts riots claimed the lives of dozens of his constituents, causing him to redouble his efforts to secure funds to fight poverty in his district and all across the nation. In March 1971, after reading Weaver's The Brownsville Raid and having a staff member double-check some of the findings Hawkins introduced a bill to exonerate the soldiers. It never got out of the Military Affairs Committee because the Pentagon wouldn't support it. Hawkins began a series of correspondences with the Department of Army asking for financial relief for any surviving servicemen and their heirs. Members of Hawkins' staff traced the discharged soldiers, placing ads in national newspapers and sending newsletters to various church groups, especially in the South. Hawkins received an inquiry from the Judge African's office requesting more information about the Brownsville affair. Lieutenant Colonel William Baker was working at the Pentagon in 1972 when he was asked to reinvestigate the case. He poured through court transcripts, eyewitness accounts, contemporary news clippings, and military records. He also checked over testimony and ballistics tests and even tried some recreations. Baker later recounted that some of the 1970s military leadership did not wish to see him succeed in casting doubt on the decisions of the Army or President Roosevelt. Still, he turned over an exhaustive report that largely supported the innocence of the soldiers. Hawkins heard nothing more about the investigation until September 28, 1972 when the Department of Defense announced that as a result of administrative review, the records of the accused men would be expunged of the offense. However, the DOD made it clear that there would be no financial compensation available to these men or their families. Hawkins was appalled. Members of Hawkins' staff had found two of the 167 soldiers, Edward Warfield of California and Dorsey Willis of Minnesota. Warfield was one of the few who had been allowed to re-enlist after the 1906 incident. He received an honorable discharge from the Army after serving in World War I and died in September 1973. Willis who was 21 years old when he was discharged, 
had spent 60 years shining shoes in Minneapolis. He was in failing health, was crippled with arthritis, and had recently been let go from his job owing to his age. With Weaver's assistance, Hawkins worked with Senator Hubert Humphrey of Minnesota and others to introduce a bill that would provide compensation to Willis. On January the 10th, 1974, in Minneapolis, Mayor General DeWitt Smith presented Willis a check for $25,000. It was a victory, but not a total one. Since Humphrey had asked for 40000 plus past pension and veteran benefits, in addition, each of a dozen surviving widows of discharged 25th soldiers received $10,000. Dorsey Willis died three years later. He was buried at the U.S. Military Cemetery in Fort Snelling, Minnesota, with full military honors. So there you have it, my friends. I guess we're still supposed to honor Teddy Roosevelt, right? Dishonorably discharging 167 men because they would not snitch? When there was no snitching to be done since the 25th had never even done this in Brownsville? It's the same old story, my friends. It's the same old story. I have said this before, and I will say it again. Black people's pain is the world's entertainment. And the problem is not people being uneducated. The problem is that they are just educated enough to believe what they've been taught and not educated enough to question what they've been taught. Are you with me? That music tells me that it's once more that time. But before I go, I've got something I must tell you. In today's society, to be African-American is to be African without memory and American without privilege. My friends, until next time, have a good day. And it has been my honor.